Romans chapter 15, verse 4, I'll read from the New Century Version today. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. The Scriptures give us patience and encouragement so that we can have hope. Now, the stories of healing and deliverance recorded in the Scriptures not only inspire us, they instruct us. They teach us how to receive whatever we need from God. And so these testimonies show us what we must do, or conversely, what we must not do in order to experience the power of God in our lives. So, in short, God wants us to follow the example of those who in the Scriptures received their breakthrough. Now, you need to know something. Miracles don't just happen randomly, indiscriminately. There is a reason, my friends, there is a reason why some are healed and some are not. God, this is so important, I say it all the time, God requires our cooperation. God requires our cooperation to work out His perfect will for our lives. Did God save you apart from your consent and agreement? Did He drag you into the kingdom, grab you by the collar and pull you in? No, no. Your will had to submit to His will. Isn't that right? There are requirements. So, if our prayers are not answered, it is not because God has failed us. It is because we have failed to meet the requirements and the conditions that heaven demands. So, instead of trying to change God's ways, something that will never happen, we need to change ours. Instead of trying to persuade God to agree with you, you need to be persuaded to agree with Him. Do you get me? You understand what I'm saying? Hallelujah. Now, it would help us then to closely examine the miracles in the Bible. The Scriptures give us a blueprint for the supernatural. The stories of the Bible, the stories of healing and deliverance, offer us a step by step guide to being set free and made whole. So if that interests you today, if that's where you are, then listen closely. Today, as we continue in this series, Anatomy of a Miracle, let's talk about, let's look at the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11. You might want to turn there. For the sake of time, I'll fill in some of the, the blank spaces. Lazarus, the Bible tells us, was sick. And his sisters, Martha and Mary, sent word to Jesus because obviously they wanted him to come 
and heal their brother. So we pick up the story in John chapter 11, verse 4. It says in the English Standard Version, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, some Christians read this verse and conclude, they come to this conclusion, they say that sickness glorifies God. Oh, Lord, be glorified by this cancer. Let this tuberculosis be for your glory, oh, Lord. No, friends, that's wrong. That's foolish. The word glorify means to give honor, to be praised. God was not honored and praised because Lazarus was sick. Hmm? When Jesus heard the news that Lazarus was ill, he did not celebrate. He did not dance a jig and say, oh, this is good news. Thank you, Father. Thank you that Lazarus is sick. No, that's foolish. He didn't do that. Amen? God's attitude towards sickness is the same as his attitude towards sin. Would anybody say, oh, Lord, let this adultery be for your glory? Lord, be honored by my lie. No, that doesn't work that way. Just like Christ redeemed us from sin, he redeemed us from sickness. And just like he doesn't want us to have any sin in our life, he doesn't want us to have any sickness in our life either. Can I get an amen? Now, notice Jesus said again, this illness does not lead to death. Your Bible may say unto death. The Greek word pros means toward, moving toward, resulting in. See, if you continue reading this story, you will see that Lazarus did indeed die. So was Jesus wrong? Oops, oops, <laughs> made a mistake there, Lord. No. What Jesus means is the final outcome will not be death. The end result will not be death. Likewise, the end result, the final outcome of this story, this testimony, will be that God is glorified. So notice John chapter 11, verse 5 and 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he quickly rushed to the place where Lazarus was. No, actually it says, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He waited two days on purpose. Again, some Christians read this and they conclude, see, Jesus let Lazarus die so that he could perform an even greater miracle of raising him up. Have you ever heard that? That's incorrect. That's wrong. That's not, that's not accurate at all, and I'll prove it to you. John, the Apostle John, tells us that Lazarus and his sisters lived in a town called Bethany, which was about two miles from Jerusalem. That's in verse 18. So Bethany is like a, we would say like a suburb of the city of Jerusalem. But Jesus was not in Jerusalem at that time. He was not he was not just down the street. 
in John chapter 10, verse 40, so that's the last verse of the previous chapter. And of course, John didn't write this book in chapter and verse. That's just put in for reference sake. In John chapter 10, verse 40, it says, Jesus went away across the Jordan, meaning the Jordan River. Jesus went away across the Jordan to the place where John, meaning John the Baptist, where John had been baptizing at first. John, he talks about John the Baptist. John was baptizing people not in the city of Jerusalem, in the wilderness. In fact, John was baptizing people in a place called Bethany. But it's not the same Bethany where Lazarus lives, you see. If you don't know that, you might get confused. This Bethany is located on the other side of the River Jordan in, in, a, in a barren uh, uh, arid climate, you see, in the desert. This Bethany was about 30 kilometers from the Bethany where Martha and Mary lived. So how did Martha and Mary contact Jesus? They must have sent, they must have sent him a text message, right? They contacted him on social media. No, they had to send a messenger who no doubt walked to get there. Now, if you look at a map from Bethany to Bethany, same name but two different places, from Bethany to Bethany, as I said, was about 30 kilometers. However, we say that's as the crow flies. I'm going into a lot of detail to prove a point. That's as the crow flies. In other words, if you draw a straight line on the map, it's about 30 kilometers. But they don't take an airplane, a straight line. They walk. And, and the messenger has to travel on whatever roads or paths are there at that time, which are not always a straight line. And it's through rugged, inhospitable terrain. If you look at a picture of that place even today, it's, it's basically desert, right? So no doubt it took a while to get there. Just like if you look at a map, Dimapur is actually pretty close to Kohima. If you look on a map, it's not that far away. It's like, oh boy, in fact, if you're a first time visitor or a tourist, you think, oh yeah, we'll just drive over there, take 10 minutes. No, no, no. The road is like a bowl of, of uh, Raymond Noodle. You know? So it's all curvy and smurvy. Well, that's how it was for them too, you see. So I think it is safe to assume that it took an entire day for the messenger to come to Jesus with the word, you see. Some folks said, well, yeah, but if he traveled on horseback, he would have got there a lot quicker than, than a day. Very few people in that day had horses. Very, very few. Kings, yes, governors, generals, sure, they had them. But ordinary people did not have horses, you see. So he had to walk. So think about this. Day number one. The messenger travels. He's like walking to Kohima. And so he reaches. He gives Jesus the message. That's day one. Then Jesus hears the word. He waits two more days. Boom, boom, boom. So that's the third day. On the fourth day, now Jesus walks back with his disciples. And now notice verse 17. John eleven seventeen. 17. Now when Jesus came... When he came to that Bethany, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb <clears throat> four days. Do the math. 
Lazarus died before the messenger even came to Jesus. And in fact, that verse doesn't even say that Lazarus had been dead for four days. It says he'd been in the tomb for four days. So I don't know how long it took him to go from the, from the deathbed to the casket and into the tomb, but there was probably some, some time there. So he, so, and, he, and he didn't die before the messenger left. So while the messenger was on the way, Lazarus died. And when Jesus heard the word, he knew by the Spirit, actually Lazarus is already dead. So he waited on purpose two days. It doesn't say, now Lazarus hated Martha and Mary. No, no, it says he loved them. So why didn't he rush over there? Well, he's already dead. So there's, it doesn't make any sense just to rush on over there. You're never too dead for a resurrection. <laughs> right? It doesn't matter, right? So, hallelujah. So then he, he reached the place, praise the Lord, and verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's nice. She could have said, thank you for coming on behalf of the family. We deeply appreciate you being here. You know, my brother really loved you. I know you're busy. That's not what she said. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's indirectly blaming him for her brother's death. When things go badly, people find it convenient to blame God. The last person they would ever blame is themselves. They find it convenient to blame God. And if that doesn't work, they blame the pastor. <laughs> I speak for pastors everywhere. Huh? It was not Jesus' fault that Lazarus got sick and died. It's not his fault. But she's, she's indirectly accusing him. Amen? Actually, what she meant was, Jesus, okay, I don't get it. Why were you in this remote, desolate place when people here need you? That's what she really means. What were you doing? That sounds very selfish, Jesus. You're out there, you know, sunbathing, you know, taking the sights, you know, uh, enjoying your tourist trip. And here my brother's dying. Well, by the way, why was he there? He retreated. Jesus retreated to the wilderness. I'm going into a lot of detail because there's a point. Jesus retreated into the wilderness because the Pharisees in Jerusalem... In John chapter 10, tried to stone Jesus and kill him. They had one of their famous exchanges. And in the course of it, Jesus said, I and my father are one. And those people blew a fuse. If you want to know what the Pharisees were like, consider it this way. The Pharisees in Jesus' day were the Jewish Taliban. They're the kind of people that kill you because you didn't wash your hands the right way. So when he said to them, I and my father are one, they didn't say, no, well, we, don't, we just don't see that. No, they picked up stones. They're going to kill him right now. And, he, and they tried to arrest him, but he slipped out of their hands. That's why he went to this remote place. In fact, when he got the word, he told his disciples, I'm going back into Judea to minister to Lazarus. He actually said, Lazarus is asleep, and I'm going to wake him up. And they said, you know, if he's asleep, just let him sleep. They don't want to go back. In, in essence, they said, go back to Jerusalem? 
Are you out of your mind? I'm not going back there. <laughs> we almost died. All of us nearly died. Are you kidding? We're not going back there. In fact, Thomas, you know, who's the only disciple that came to India, that's the problem. Thomas actually said, <laughs> Thomas actually said, uh, let us go with him that we may also die. <laughs> Very encouraging. So they went. But, but, but Martha also said that she didn't stop with that statement. She also said in verse 22, but even now, I like that, but even now, I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. In this story, the, word, the spoken word plays a significant role. That's why John, by the Holy Spirit, is telling you exactly what everybody said. Why? Because if you need a miracle, it begins with your mouth. There's a miracle in your mouth. What you say can put you in a position to receive the grace of God or cost you and cause you to forfeit the power of God in your life. Oh, but I'm a Christian. Yeah, it doesn't matter. God's not going to rewrite the Bible just because you're a Christian. Amen. Praise the Lord. So instead of wallowing in pity and filled with regret, oh, I only wish he had been here. If only he had been here. God, why didn't he? She turned the corner with a strong, positive declaration of faith. She said, even now. Even now. What that means is it's, it's not too late. The man's dead. We, we had the funeral three days, four days ago. I mean, you know, we sang the hymns, gave the, the flowers are old and, and faded now. You know, everybody went home. Even now, it's not too late. It's not too late. If you're watching this message, I want you to know, even now, it's not too late for you. I don't care if you've lost your money. I don't care if you've lost your job. I don't care if you have no hope of future employment. I don't care if your family has turned their back on you. I don't care if the doctor gave you the most horrible report. Even now, it's not too late. I said it's not too late for you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Even if your hopes are dead and buried, he can raise them back up again. Even now. Even now. Don't let the devil tell you it's over. Don't let the devil say, time's up, ah, you lose. No, no, we keep playing until I win. <laughs> it's not over. Glory to God. Woo. Somebody get happy right now. I tell you, I ought to praise God. Hallelujah. Jesus said to her immediately, your brother will rise again. Notice he responded to her faith. With his own statement of faith, your brother will rise again. What if she had said something differently? What if she'd said, if only you'd been here, and then just walked off and said, I don't understand it when I get to heaven. Then this story would have been a totally different story. Even though Jesus is right there in person, doesn't matter. That doesn't invalidate the word of God. That doesn't change the principles of God's word. You make sure you say the right thing. If you've been saying the wrong thing, then make that change right now. Amen. Martha in verse 24 said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So after making a bold affirmation, 
Now she steps back, hesitant. She balked at that statement. Your brother will rise again. My, my brother will rise again. <laughs> you mean, you don't mean now. You mean, you mean at the end times, in the very end of the day, end of the age. That's what, that's what you mean, isn't it? That's what you mean? Now, that's what she was thinking. But she said it in a very religious way. I know. Then the last day, my brother will rise again. We're not talking about the last day. We're talking about right now. Amen. Amen. And Jesus responded to her with one of the most powerful statements in the entire Bible. One of the most powerful statements in the entire Bible, right here, verse 25, he said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. <laughs> I'm sure when he said that, everybody's head exploded. <laughs> Time to find some stones again. <laughs> I'm sure their jaws just fell on the ground. Their eyes bulged out. They couldn't believe what he just got through saying. I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, what he said is this. He didn't say, well, I have the power. I can do this. He said, I am the power. It doesn't happen without me. In other words, Martha, you don't have to wait for some event that's been predicted in the future. I'm here right now. And that's all you need to know. You see, some Christians are always trying to relegate the miraculous to the distant past or push it off to the faraway future. See, they're always trying to say, oh, yes, 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 back in the days of the apostles, God healed. Yes, of course, in the Gospels, Jesus healed people. And, and yes, we'll all be healed in the millennium. When we get to heaven, we'll all be healed. But God doesn't heal today. The day of miracles has passed. Huh? But Jesus is here. He doesn't just have healing. He is your healing. He is your healing. See, a doctor might help your body to recover and be cured. But Jesus doesn't just help your body to recover and be cured. He is the healer. And he's here. He didn't go away when the China virus spread. He's still here. Amen. Glory to God. Nobody here, I'm sure nobody here, and no real Christian would say, no, God used to save sinners, and he'll save them on the last day, but he doesn't save today. No, no, if you believe that, you're a heretic. You don't, you don't believe the Bible. Yet the Bible says, Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. If he healed then, he'll heal now, and he'll heal tomorrow. Can somebody get a little happy in this place right now? Because this is good news. Come on, you need to believe this when you're watching the news on television. You need to believe this when your neighbors have boarded up your colony. 
You need to believe this when your own parents blow a fuse and you think they're looking for stones now. You need to believe the Bible, not only in church, you need to believe the Bible when nobody around you does believe the Bible. Come on. Come on, it's, it's not enough just to sit there and smile and clap a few times. You've got to stand on the Word of God when you're, the, when you're all by yourself. Amen. Amen. He is the resurrection and the life. In fact, in John 5.28, he himself, talking about himself, said, An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. So in essence, what happened to Lazarus is a preview of coming attractions. In other words, what we read about in John 11 is a little foretaste of what's going to happen when he comes back. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So the dead will be raised in the last day, not just because it's supposed to happen, it has to happen, but because just like he raised up Lazarus, he's going to raise up you. Glory to God. Then Jesus said to Martha, John eleven twenty six. 26, he said, do you believe this? What we believe matters to Jesus. He didn't assume it. I know you believe it, Martha. I know, I know, I know. I've known you a long time, Martha. I know you're a believer. No, he asked her a question. Do you believe this? And he wants to hear us say it. It's like your wife. Do you love me? Well, you, you know that I love you. I told you the day we got married that I love you, and if it changes, I'll let you know. No, no, she wants to hear it. One woman is nodding, the others are daydreaming. Well, you, you, you daydream. <laughs> Jesus wants to hear it, I believe. So now, like a game of badminton, the shuttlecock is on her side of the net. She said in verse 27, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. If you notice this, she went from believing in his power to believing in his person. Whatever you ask God, he'll do it for you. But now she says, you are the Son of God. The Lord will always endeavor to move us to a higher level of faith. And that's what he did. He moved her to a higher level of faith. Praise the Lord. Then, the other sister, Mary, showed up. She was at home, but now she shows up crying and distraught. She fell at Jesus' feet. Verse 32. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Here we go again. Did you two like agree that this is the statement you're going to make when, when you see me? <laughs> it's, like, it's like deja vu. If I was Jesus, I would have said, Mary, if you had been here a moment ago, you would already have the answer to that question. <laughs> Where were you? Some people skip church. Oh, forgive me for saying this. Some people skip church and then they want a private service with the pastor in his office. I'm sure somebody is going to contact me in the days to come. Oh, I need a miracle. What should I do? Oh, go watch it on YouTube. You weren't here. <laughs> Don't get offended at me. It's true. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. 
But Jesus is compassionate. Can you say amen? Aren't you glad? When he saw her and the others weeping, the Bible says in verse 33, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Thank God he's easily touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He didn't scold the family. Get up. I cannot believe. Get up. How many lessons have I given you already? Come on. This is, this is really sad. You graduated from Spirit of Faith. Look what you're doing there on the floor. No, no, he, he didn't scold her. He empathized with her. However, that verse, verse 33, it could be translated this way. It could be translated this way that he was indignant. Indignant means like righteous anger. I don't think he was angry at, at Mary or Martha. I think he was angry at the devil. I think he was angry at sickness and Satan. And he was determined to do something about it. Some people will never get out of the little rut they're in until they do get angry. I hope this message makes some people angry. Honestly, honestly. I could just come along and rub your backside and you'd stay right where you are in defeat. Or I could kick you in the bottom and you'll say, okay, let's go, let's believe God. And, and you'd receive what you need. I can't tell you how lonely I feel right now, but it's okay. Just me and Jesus up here. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. So he went to the grave. And everybody followed. Another little point. Leaders are decisive. In this whole story, Jesus was not hesitant, you know, second-guessing himself. What should I do? Should I go to the grave? Not go to the grave. I might go to the grave. No, 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 I'm not going to the grave. I have lunch. Should I have lunch? No, go to the grave. I'm tired. No, no, no. What should I do? He, he was decisive. If you're called to pastor, then take that responsibility serious and make decisions. Hmm? God wants you to be a leader, not a chokidar. No offense to chokidars. Huh? If you have a place of responsibility in the body of Christ, then be decisive. Hear from God, act on it. All this little wishy-washy, well, I talk, let me talk to my mother. Let me talk to all my family members. Let's have a little group meeting with everybody that I've ever known in my entire life, and let's have a vote and turn it into parliament. No, if you heard from God, then, then it's just time to obey. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Please sit down. Amen. And then he said this. Take away the stone. Now we've gone from words to action. Martha responded in verse 39. <clears throat> Lord. Lord. I have to tell you something. Lord. By this time, there will be an odor. He has been dead four days. Was Martha really concerned about the smell or the fact that she was afraid Jesus would embarrass her? Hmm? It's been four days. It doesn't matter if it's been four years. There's no such thing as being only a little dead. Is Lazarus dead? Only a little. No, he's dead. He's dead, honey. He's dead. It doesn't matter. Four days, four years, doesn't matter. <laughs> that's, that's a lame excuse. She was afraid it wouldn't work. Many folks can talk convincingly, especially in the church world. But when it's time to act, 
they dither and make excuses. Oh, Lord, I believe. Oh, yes, hallelujah, I believe. Oh, hallelujah, you were the Christ, you're the son of God. I know whatever you ask, I'm going to do it. Roll away the stone. Well, can't do that, but I believe, I believe. Oh, yes, I believe you, Lord. You the almighty God, you the miracle-working God, you the healer. Roll away the stone. <laughs> well, well, I can't exactly do that, but I believe, I believe. It's time to stop talking. It's time to put your feet and your body where your mouth is. Start acting is what I mean to say. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Roll away the stone. Because your faith is proven and perfected by action. So if you are a person who's inactive, you'll never have great faith. Let me read to you James 2.17 from the Passion Translation and just tuck this away in your spirit. So then faith that doesn't involve action is phony. I have great faith. Yeah, it's phony. <laughs> faith that does not involve action is fake faith. Listen, it would be better to have no faith than to have a whole lot of fake faith. I'd rather have a little genuine faith than, they told me not to step here. I would rather have a little genuine faith than a whole bunch of, you know, bogus, duplicate faith. I'd rather have a real Timex than a fake Rolex. <laughs> Amen. I don't like anything that's fake. Some people love it. This is my Gucci bag. This is my Chanel. This is my Sony. That's because it's a bony, not a Sony. <laughs> it's fake. They don't care. Amen. God wants you to have the real thing. Look at someone and say, the real thing. Why didn't Jesus, why didn't Jesus roll away the stone himself? They're all standing there looking at one another. Why didn't he say, all right, I'll just do this right now. I'll roll away the stone. Because God requires our cooperation. In every miracle of life, we have our part to play. The instructions that Jesus gave to Martha and Mary seemed unreasonable, inappropriate, and foolish, you see. But faith obeys God even when it's inconvenient or doesn't seem to make sense. If you only obey God when you've got it figured out, you're probably never going to obey him. Because here's a news flash. God is bigger than your brain. You don't know that, but everybody in heaven knows that. <laughs> so, the most intelligent thing you could do is to obey God. That means you don't have to be super smart. You don't have to walk around and pretend you're Albert Einstein. We know you're not. What you can do is just say, well, I don't know everything, but I know this God can't lie. And if he says do it, then I'm going to do it and trust him with the results. Now, people who think they're intelligent would scoff at that <laughs> as they go to hell. No. The most intelligent thing we could ever do, and I'm talking about obeying me or somebody else. I'm talking about obeying God's word, what God has told you to do. Jesus said to her in verse 40, are you still here today? You're too quiet for me, but I'll keep going. Jesus said to her in verse 40, did I not tell you 
that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. So, hey, you feel a little sensitive because it sounds like I'm correcting you. And then you say, I wish I was living back in those days. Jesus would be correcting you left and right. I would look like, you know, a little flower girl at a wedding compared to him. <laughs> you wouldn't make it, baby. You'd be wilting. <laughs> this is abuse. I'm being verbally abused right now. <laughs> Did I not tell you that if you believed God, if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So that means they haven't seen the glory yet, have they? If, didn't I tell you, if you believed, you would see? They, that means they haven't seen the glory of God yet. They did not see it when Lazarus got sick. They did not see it when Lazarus died and was buried. But they're about to see it now when Jesus raises him up. Most Christians, of course, they're not here this morning. Most Christians want to see the glory and then believe. But it doesn't work that way. Lord, work a miracle. Let all the symptoms disappear. Oh, Lord, cause the money just to come, you know, ravens will bring me, you know, rupee, rupees in their beaks and drop it at my feet. Just, Lord, let, you know, let, let the river, let the, let the Red Sea be parted. Let, let, let manna fall from heaven. And then I'll believe. It doesn't work that way, friend. That would be like the sinner saying, let me feel saved. And then I'll believe the gospel. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. The release of God's power is preceded by a confident assurance and reliance on his word. And by the way, nobody said faith feels good. Nobody ever said faith feels good. When you're standing, sometimes it don't feel so good. You feel like naked in the, in the middle of a cyclone. You feel exposed. You feel like you're the only one. You feel like you're being ridiculed. It, nobody said it feels good. All we said is it's better and it will be good. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Oh, friend, if you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. It may be nice and comfortable with everybody else in the boat. Just nice here. I'm not alone. All my unbelieving friends are with me. Oh, this is so nice. Yeah, I'm gonna, no, I'm going to stay here. It's nice and safe in the boat. It may be safe, but it's also boring. If you want your breakthrough, if you want your miracle, if you want to see the power of God, you got to take the first step. you got to get out of the boat to walk on the water. Can I get an amen? Come on. Yeah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. They took away the stone. They rolled away the stone. And then Jesus prayed. Then he prayed. He was making preparations for what he expected to happen. He didn't pray and then say, shall we roll away the stone? What did he say? How many say yes? How many say no? No, no, no. He said, roll it away because he knows what's going to happen. When you have faith, you're not surprised by the results. I say, when you have faith, you're not surprised. Other people around you are aghast. You really are healed? It really happened? But you're like, yeah, I told you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Also, when they rolled away the stone, I guess Martha and Mary told the servants and all these guys, when they rolled away the stone, they were giving Jesus permission to intervene on their behalf. 
Rolling away the stone was a greater statement of faith than a thousand words. By doing it, they said, we do believe. We really do believe. Verse 41. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Most people would say that only after Lazarus walked out of the grave. But that's how he began his prayer. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. You haven't said anything yet. What are you talking about? <laughs> I thank you that you have heard me. Woo. The Bible teaches us how to pray in faith. The classic verse on this is Mark eleven twenty four. It says, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Notice it doesn't say believe that you will receive it one day in the future in the sweet by and by. The New International Reader's Version says it even more emphatically. Believe that you have it. Believe that you have already received it. Believe that you have already received it, then it will be yours. He said, put your prayer in the past tense. Put it in the past tense. Consider it done. Consider your prayer heard and answered. The problem with the majority of Christians is they're waiting for some indication that their prayer has been heard and answered. I feel better. I see something, some change, and then they say, ah, now I believe. You'll be waiting a long time. That's the very opposite of how faith works. Anybody here today? Religious people think if they pray all night, if they fast for three weeks, then God will hear. Nowhere does the Bible say that. That's, that's your own verse. You're adding new verses to the Bible. God will hear you when you believe. When, he, when, when Jesus heard Lazarus was sick, he didn't say, and died. He didn't say, oh man, ooh, ooh, oh, ooh, ooh. okay, disciples, let's all, let's all get together. Mary's house prayer meeting tonight at 8 p.m. We're going to pray all night long. We're going to storm the gates of heaven with our prayers. We're going to just cry out till we're hoarse, and, and, and we'll just keep praying until God does something. He didn't even do that. There's a lot of wasted energy in the church world that produces little to no results. You may feel a little bit better because you felt like you've done something, but you've accomplished very little because it's an unbelief. His prayer was exceedingly short. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Think about that. The, the guy, there's a dead man in there. <laughs> and, and you just told everybody you're, that he's going to be raised up. And your prayer is so short we could write it on, on the palm of our hand. The Bible doesn't say, and Jesus started praying at 3 p.m., Later that evening, as we were having dinner, we could still hear him over there in the cemetery. No, no, like some people we know. No, he, his prayer was exceedingly short. Amen. And notice this. In response to his prayer, there was no voice that thundered from the heavens. The Bible doesn't say, and then the earth shook. And everyone heard, I have heard you, my son. 
There was no sign. And Jesus wasn't looking for one either. Most people say, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Now I'm looking for maybe like a cloud formation that has my name, John, I've heard. I think that doesn't look like my name, John. Sort of. <laughs> I'm waiting for, you know, some sign. Let a little bluebird peck on my window tomorrow. Morse code, I have heard you. <laughs> he didn't need that. He didn't require that. He wasn't looking for that. As I have often said, do not misinterpret the silences of God. Just because he doesn't say something to you, that doesn't mean he didn't hear you. I'm like that. Sometimes my children are saying, we want to do this, we want to do that. And they say it like 35 times, and I'm thinking, I heard you the first time. I heard you the first time. Just because I don't jump up and down and do a cartwheel doesn't mean I didn't hear you. <laughs> Amen. Verse 42, Jesus went on to say, he's, he's actually praying, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Many Christians quote scriptures and make strong affirmations in their prayer because actually they're just hoping to convince themselves of something. But Jesus wasn't trying to have faith. He didn't stand there at the open tomb and say, Ooh, okay, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to believe God. I'm, I have faith. I have mountain-moving faith. Yes, I believe. Greater is he that's in me than he's in the world. He wasn't trying to, to muster up faith. He said, I know. I know. You got to get to the place from trying to believe to knowing. To knowing. Then he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. This miracle began with words. Words in an ordinary conversation. Words that led to action was reinforced in prayer, but consummated with a command. There's a time when you need to stop praying and use the authority God gave you. And Jesus, I like this, he cried with a loud voice. He didn't whisper. I mean, everybody's standing around. You said, roll away the stone. Oh, you're going to stink. No, roll it away. So they roll away the stone. Everybody's no doubt looking at you. Just staring and glaring at you. He didn't say, he didn't pray. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. <clears throat> Lazarus. Psst, psst. Lazarus. Lazarus. Can you hear me? Lazarus, can you hear me? Are you in there? Lazarus. No, he didn't, he didn't whisper. And he didn't rush into the grave and try to administer CPR either. I'm just going to lay hands on him. No, no, no. All you stay out. <clears throat> no, no. <laughs> he spoke boldly. Lazarus, come forth. And no doubt there was some, I mean, I wasn't there, but from reading the Bible, no doubt there was some lapse of time. I don't, maybe just a, a, short, a short minute or something. 
between the moment when he spoke and when Lazarus came out. Doesn't say, you know, as he was saying, Lazarus, he said, here I am. No, there was, there was, a, there was a slight, there was a slight delay, I'm sure, because he's inside. He's all wrapped up. He's inside. So I'm sure he says, Lazarus, come forth. And there's a little bit of a delay there. But Jesus didn't waver. <laughs> Lazarus, come forth. Come forth now. <laughs> Lazarus, I'm talking to you, Lazarus. Come on. I know you hear me. No, no, he didn't. He didn't. Some people, you know, they, they hesitate. They waver. They doubt. Hallelujah. He didn't need to call a second time. And verse 44, of course, is the culmination. The man who had died came out. His hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. I think it's interesting. He called the man by name. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come out. If he had just said, come out, all the graves would have been open and every dead man would have come out of the grave. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And then Jesus said to the people who witnessed this miracle, loose him and let him go. There's another sermon there which I don't have time for, but think about this. There's also a thought here about the work of salvation in our lives. Lazarus was dead, and now he's alive, but he's still bound. He's still bound with all these grave clothes. He's hindered in his walk. He, he can't move. He can't see. Jesus didn't rush over there with a pair of scissors and say, okay, I'm going to cut this off. I'm going to cut this off. Now, hold on, Lazarus. Hold on. I'm going to... No, he said to the others around, those who, who believed he said, now you untie him. People get born again. They were like Lazarus. They were a dead man. Spiritually, I speaking, they were a dead man. And by the word of Christ, they're now alive. But they're still bound. They still got the grave clothes. They've got the bad habits. They've got some worldly things. But he wants us as believers, us who have witnessed this miracle, now step forward to loose him and let him go, to help him, to walk freely. Hallelujah. Not be bound by anything. Hallelujah. Can I get an amen from the congregation today? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now. You may be thinking as you hear this message, I don't need anybody raised from the dead. That's not the struggle I'm facing right now. But see, the point is this. If Jesus raised a man up who had been dead for four days, and not only raised him up, but healed him. Because if he didn't heal Lazarus, Lazarus would immediately have died from the sickness that he had in the first place. So he's not only raised up, He's also healed. and maybe, He didn't come out coughing and wheezing and say, I still have a fever. No, no. He, he was healed as well. If Jesus could do that, then he could heal you of diabetes. He could pay your rent and your other bills. He could save your lost loved ones. He could help you deal with irritating relatives. He could even heal your marriage. Even if it's dead, he can resurrect it. Hallelujah. So in closing, if you will believe, you will see the glory of God. Hallelujah.